today's show is supported by Orites, because I don't have any real sponsors. And many listeners probably learned to row in Orites. Thanks, Orites, for helping the show's listeners learn to love the river. A related note, if you like the show and want it to continue and would like to contribute to the Eddie Lyons cause, that would be amazingly helpful, especially right now. Shoot me a message on Facebook or email me at karensfilm at gmail.com. Karens is spelled C-A-I-R-N-S. Okay, on with the show. Cost 40 gallons and bring good money. Over 200. Everyone, Greg Karens here. Yes, we have a second episode. Made it past show one. This is exciting. Today we're talking to river guide and professional travel kayak enthusiast Chris Bear. It's hard to put a clean title on Chris's profession. He's a senior guide on the Arkansas River and the Gully River for six months out of the year. In the winter, he travels in kayaks. You can learn a ton about his adventures from his photos and videos at whereisbear.com. Bear is spelled B-A-E-R. So this show is three parts. First, I asked Chris about his lifestyle as a year-round guide and kayaker. Secondly, we learn about a river he paddled in northeast India, the Brahmaputra. And third, we'll check in on the status of the dams in the Brahmaputra. But before that, let's learn about Chris. Uh, so my name is Chris Bear, and uh, I've been traveling with whitewater, working on the rivers, um, kind of centering my me around whitewater for or pushing two decades now. And uh, yeah, this is some weird times, not being able to be on the water as much as I prefer to be, but uh, kind of dealing with that and heading off into the next adventure. Uh, we're going to pretend to do a rafting season, commercial rafting season here in Colorado, I think. You have a website. So what does your year look like, like average year in the last few years? Outside of this year, uh the plan usually is for beginning of May, uh, start working out in Colorado, uh, just commercial raft rafting. Uh, and we'll do that May through August out here and then, uh, work Labor Day out here, jump in the van. I get two days to rally back across the country out to West Virginia and then, uh, train the next batch of guides out there and straight back into work out there. We'll do another six weeks of work out there. That'll wrap up. And then, uh, it turns into boating season for me and uh, head on down, catch Russell Fork and Green Race, and then uh, catch a plane flight out of here, go someplace warmer and uh, get on the water. Uh, usually someplace relatively exotic, um, a lot of South Central America, Asia, Africa, um, six out of seven continents now. So just bouncing around, um, checking out some really cool spot stuff, and then typically get back to the States early spring, do a little early spring paddle around, uh, either Southeast or been going down to Arizona for a little bit, last couple of years, um, Minnesota, that, that area actually has a bunch of good wet water in the spring. Um, it's super cold, but it's really good. Are you on the Arkansas and Colorado? I am. Uh, but majority of my time is on the Arkansas. We've got, uh, the Pine Creek section of the Arkansas river. It's basically across the street. And over the last few years, I've done more trips on that than anyone. Um, nice. And where do you, where do you live? Um, do you have a, where do you live? Do you have like a place that you say <laughs> this is home? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I've blatantly kind of turned off having a home for a long time now. Um, 
four months out here in Colorado is as stable as I get. And then like this year, that's not going to be the case. Like I think I'm going to end up bouncing around trying to do some work in some different spots. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that plans out, but no, no, no home base and haven't had a home base for a long time. What does your family, you know, your parents or whoever think about you being a voter? <laughs> uh, mom, mom's a warrior. Um, she definitely worries about me. Um, she understands that I take pretty educated risks nowadays. Um, but she definitely still worries. Um, dad for a long time gave me the, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? And then, uh, while ago now like uh, seven ten years ago uh we're having a conversation he kind of looked at me he's like you did it um this is not what i would ever have imagined for you this is one i would have picked for you um but you've traveled to more countries than i have uh you haven't asked me for a dime since you were 14 um and you're happy so who am I to tell you that you're doing it wrong? Um, so like, it was cool to see him kind of turn on that and to like, uh, to grasp that this is what I want to be doing. This is what makes me happy. And, uh, for him to be happy that I'm doing what makes me happy. I think that's, that was pretty cool experience for, for him to vocalize. A question I have for you is like in the last few years, has there been a trip of yours or some kind of adventure or anything that stood out as like, wow, that was a really good life experience or, you know, a, a good story or those aren't <laughs> yeah. necessarily the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say good life experience. Like, man, um, the like good life experience. I just think getting out of the country, every time I get out of the country, every time I see a culture that is wildly different than, what I was brought up with here in the States is spectacularly good for me as a human being, uh, to be able to go and see a different culture, to see how people just do things wildly different and to realize that, that that's not right or wrong, but just different. Um, I've, I've been trying to get rid of better or good or, you know, like, the right way to do things. I've been trying to like eliminate that from my vocabulary just cause like there's so many different people that do things so wildly different that it doesn't, there is no right or wrong to it. Like that's just different. And like, Hey, you live like this, you eat that, you do this. Um, you pray to this deity. Like, I don't care. Um, it's just different. And so I don't know. I, I really enjoy that. I love the cultural aspect of it. And like, especially when I get like way off the beaten path and where like, I don't understand the culture at all. Like where I'm just like, my jaw is kind of dropped out and I'm like trying to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I think that's super, it's been really good for me um, as a, like as a human um, to see that and to kind of augment how I think about things and um, just to be that much more open-minded that man, every there's so many cool people out there doing so much cool stuff that it's really, I think, yeah, it's really good to have that cultural experience. Shout out to Save Bristol Bay. The Save Bristol Bay team at Trout Unlimited is led by Alaskans working to ensure that one of the last thriving wild salmon fisheries on the planet may continue for future generations. 
They partner with sports fishing lodges and local leaders and work to ensure that the regional fishing and hunting heritage, Alaska Native traditions, and the many economic contributions of Bristol Bay remain intact. You can learn more about Save Bristol Bay and how to help ensure that the pebble mine doesn't destroy such a magical part of Alaska at savebristolbay.org. If you want to learn more about the insane historic battle over the pebble mine, watch the films Red Gold and Damnation by Feltzel Media. So I'm going to go back because um, I think this, like, if you want a story, this is a cool story. Yeah. So I was in Nepal and I was doing some pound there and I wanted to run over to India and check out some stuff there. Like I just talk about massive country. Um, but I wanted to get a trip in over there and just see what was going on and get a little culture over there. And so I started reaching out and seeing if I had any friends over there. And I finally got introduced to another, um, another gentleman just on the, like, via like Facebook messaging. And, uh, we decided we were going to meet at an airport. So like I flew into new Delhi and then bounced from new Delhi on like another, like eight hour plane ride off to Eastern India. And landed in this like pretty big town um not a big town a, a, a metropolitan big city you know and did you have a kayak with you like what did yeah you have? yeah so i landed with my kayak um yeah in guati but hopped off the plane fought with some cab stuff um got the boat on top of a cab and uh rallied over to the bus station and that's where i met this guy at and uh we shook hands for the very first time in the bus station. Like we had never seen each other before the meeting each other in the bus station in India. Um, and then we hopped on a bus for like 14 hours and, uh, just overland bus going eastbound, going like Northeast, um, heading up to that Arunachal Pradesh region. And, uh, we cruised out there 14 hours. We were eating, uh, uh, It was Indian truck stop food. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get sick for sure. (laughs) Um, But managed to like like fight through all that. And uh, we got out to a town called Pastigat. Um, I'm sure I'm butchering that. Um, (laughs) But we got there a day and a half later or like a day later after landing on the ground. And then uh, we tried to get some trucks that day and go up that river. And uh, so this is like the, basically the very tippy top of the Brahmaputra. Um, and we're gonna go from like India, Tibet. Uh, yeah, basically from Tibet um, back into uh, into India. And it's it's all kind of like, it's, it's legal-ish. Um, but we went all the way up to this little town, way up towards the border. Uh, border, and it took us two days by four-wheel drive jeep truck to get up to this town called Tooting. It's like way up there, and uh, there's like a military base up there. They don't really want gringos up there. We were definitely a spectacle in town. Um, and from the from satellite, it it looks like if you don't see any of the names on it, it kind of looks like Alaska or like there's just mountains oh yeah it's it's the himalayas like you're in it um huge mountains all the way around you um yeah you feel really small and uh the river uh where we were gonna finish up was probably like 
couple 300,000 CFS. And then we were putting in was like maybe only like a hundred thousand or 150,000. Um, it was still big, but it was like, we were going to like double in size on the way down. And, uh, that's low water. We went there basically as low water as possible. Um, and then you like, look at the walls, like there's huge rock walls. Look at some of those and it's high water line was 50 feet above us. Really? Um, wow. we're on like, you know, we're on 150,000 CFS and the high water lines 50 feet above you. Um, just stunning. Like I have no idea what that stuff would look like at high water. It'd be and terrifying. you put in at Tuting? Yeah, we put in, uh, just outside the town of Tuting, just North of town. Why, why there did you, could you have gone up higher or was that? No, that was basically like, if you look at a map nowadays, uh, the road continues North from Tuting, but that was as far as we were going to get. Okay. Um, there's a military base just on the North side of Tuting and, uh, and just you and a buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and not even a buddy, a guy that I met, um, an English guy that I met, uh, two and a half days before. <laughs> wow. And so what was your, what was your plan from there? Like, where do you get, did you, what do you have for food and, and, um, where did you stay in Tuting? Like when you were getting ready? Yeah. So, um, food stuff, I'd already been in Nepal for like those couple months before. And so it wasn't like I was stockpiled with like mountain houses and, you know, power bars and whatnot. Like I had kind of blown through whatever little bit of that stuff I brought with me. Um, and I think it was a three day trip that we did in there. And so, yeah, one, two, one night, two night, three nights. Yeah. Three nights, um, three nights, four days, uh, trip. And so we were able to get up to two ting, and then I think we spent one night between Tuting and, oh, let me look at the map again on this one. Um, there's another town further down that we, Yinkyong. Um, so we put in a Tuting and it was just like all, all Indian food, like whatever we could find at the little bodegas, um, like some like ramen packs and like tuna fish and, you know, like, kind of mm -hmm. the classic just dirt bagging style meals um whatever you could get your hands on whatever looked delicious um but uh yeah left tuting um and then we cruised down camped on the side of the river beautiful beaches like huge natural beaches like no dams like it's just stunning um and then cruised down to yinkyong the next night and yinkyong um we had stayed at a place there on the way up. We, uh, it was, like I said, it was a two day Jeep ride up there. And, uh, so when we, on the way up, we stopped at this little hostel, hostel, hotel, whatever it was. Um, but we had like our own little room, uh, some beds with like half an inch of padding on them. Um, but yeah, I stayed there and then, uh, there's a really nice lady there who fed us dinner um and she didn't speak like any english but like one of her kids was like translating for us so that was rad mm. uh, 
the kid was learning English in school. So we as the kid as a translator, um, I've done that a lot in foreign countries, especially when you get far enough out that like there's no cell service. So you're like mm-hmm. translation app stuff isn't going to work. Like wander around, find like that 12 year old kid and start chatting them up. Cause they they're taking English in school and they are most of them are pretty excited about trying it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I've definitely used a bunch of kids as translators over the years. And but, what was uh, the, um, was there any kind of culture there for rafting or kayaking or? No, no. Was um, there any travel? Have they were they used to anyone kayaking it? No. So there had been a group that had been up to Tuting. There's been like a handful of groups that have gone up there, but like four or five groups over. 30 years um and so there's no no one's used to it like when we show up with our boats everybody's like just staring hard like what <laughs> in the heck are these crazy space aliens doing up here so you stayed in was it ying ying kyong yeah that was night? the second that was night well we drove up and stayed there on the way up and then okay we, uh on the way back down we decided it was like kind of getting towards it was like late afternoon on the way down on our second day and uh, we're like, you know, like, what do you want to do? You want to like, camp out or should we just cruise back up to the hotel and have the, uh, the super nice lady make us a great dinner for like $3. Um, and so, yeah, it was cruise up to town and go get a bunch of hot tea and a great meal from her and then got breakfast from her the next morning and uh, just loaded up with calories there and uh, got back out on the river. Where'd you like, where'd you leave your kayaks that night? Uh, we stashed them on the side of the river. We did not like, so it was like, a uh, the river at that point, right next to the town was, oh, 300 feet, 400 feet down, um, of like a, a dirt sandy bank. Okay. And so we decided not to struggle bus the boats up that huge embankment. It was steep. Um, I left like most of my kit down there and then, uh, just tuck the boats up into some rocks where they'd be really hard to spot from any kind of direction and then just wandered up the hillside and wandered back into town cool and then how'd the next day go so this river's crazy like i the article i wrote on it it talks about i i joked that it's like the biggest class three in the world um it was super user-friendly it was like just giant haystack waves um relatively flat gradient but just you know 150 200 300,000 cfs so huge volume and uh i remember like rolling into one of the rapids and uh we're kind of coming in and we're on like some like two three foot waves four foot waves you know i'm looking down in there and the waves just keep on getting bigger but none of them are really crashing they're just standing big waves and next thing you know we're like flying off of 15 foot tall waves and it's just this rolling wave train 15 foot tall wave um and we're going and we're going and going i look over my shoulder and i look back and basically as far back as i can see like half a mile it's just 15 foot waves and then like we come around this corner and i look off in the distance and it's like another half mile out in front of us and it's just 15 foot waves Wow. There's like a mile long rapid in there with 15 foot waves the whole way through it. Like you just smiling ear to ear, like no, like I didn't feel scared at all. Like it was just like, this is so much fun. Like 
just totally enjoyable class three, but enormous volume. That sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you experienced that in other places? Not that big, that friendly. Like, um, it's hard to get that, that kind of, I, I haven't seen a ton of those. Well, there's not a ton of those huge rivers where we're talking like hundred thousand plus CFS that are, um, that really have good rapids in them. You know, like you go, I think about like the Ottawa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, the Rio, uh, Baker, uh, Rio Baker down in Patagonia, Chile. Um, that's someplace in that region. And that thing's terrifying. Um, that just gorges <laughs> in so tight. Um, really like giant folds of water that are hundred thousand CFS. Okay. Um, yeah. That sounds kind of scary. Yeah. That's, that's a whole different level. Yeah. That's class 500,000 CFS, not class three. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was like, it was just super fun. Like it was, I hadn't seen anything quite like that before. I was really stoked on it. And you're just in a lot of these places, it looks like you probably couldn't see the road or couldn't see like any. No, nah, like the road's anything. a joke. Um, like every once in a while we, so on the way up, um, that two day Jeep trail up there from the Jeep on the first day going up, up to Yingyong, uh, we could see the road or see the, yeah, we could from the road, we could see the river occasionally like every hour you would see the river for like a second. Um, but it was way above, you know, like a thousand foot up mile away through like dense jungle, um, or just like a thousand foot cliff or whatever. And so it's like going to the road, like we knew that it was there. We knew that it was kind of the shit hit the fan scenario. Like, all right, after Yinkyong hike left until you hit the road. That's kind of the like, no spot, no tracking devices, none of that stuff. Like, all right, you know, if this all gets super bad, uh, hike right until you find the road. And, you know, a couple times a day, there's going to be a Jeep that's going to go down. And like, hopefully you can flag one of those down. Wow. So, yeah, like the whole idea of safety or like backup just doesn't exist. Like, it's one of those have to do it right the first time. You can't screw it up out there. And the, the fisherman you saw, um, what was that interaction like? It's chill. Um, I'm always, every time I see anybody, I've really changed like kind of my vibe over the years on that. And like, I really, especially international, uh, I try to be incredibly friendly to folks along the way. Um, I'm in their backyard. I want to like figure out how I can help them out. Um, how did the rest of the trip go? smooth uh just kind of rallied out of there once we got down towards the um down towards posse got it started to flatten out a little bit um and so the last day was a lot of paddling um we had a long day down there we kind of messed up our how far we thought we were away um we probably could have done uh, three days down there instead of two but uh pushed it out in two days and it was definitely it was dark dusk um, when we got down to the bridge just outside of Potsy Gut and uh, managed to get out of the water down there and hitchhike back up into town. Um, some workers that were working like some road construction stuff, they had like a, like a dump truck-ish 
kind of thing and uh threw the boats in the back of that and just hanging out in the back of the dump truck with the boats and uh they rallied us into town and uh went and got dinner <laughs> go get some naan did you notice any cultural differences between um like the culture in Pasigat, like down in down in the agricultural valley compared to like tooting way up in the mountains yeah it's definitely wildly different um and tooting they were still doing some agricultural stuff up there like they're definitely doing subsistence farming um all through that valley uh but it's the wild west like it's out there i mean or the wild east or however that works out yeah. in India. um <laughs> but yeah it, it it felt raw um everybody had calluses on their hands uh like it was that that, that almost like a working poor kind of feel um mm. where those folks are up there and they're not worried about the government trying to subsidize or do anything like that they're out there just hammering away um, so that like all right this is kind of cool so like up in tooting um there wasn't really any power lines up um and a lot of the homes had small solar panels and like a car battery so if they wanted power after the sun went down they had a batteries worth um and so they had like leapfrogged um the infrastructure stuff so they didn't have power lines up all over the place uh they're not going to have phone lines all over the place because they had a cell tower dropped in um and so they just leapfrogged some of that stuff which i think is really cool um, the fact that like when technology keeps on growing fast enough that like you can be more, uh, sustainable on site. I think that's really, yeah, they, they kind of skipped the whole, you know, um, power line thing. Yeah. I, it was amazing. I was taking photos and I didn't have to worry about like Photoshopping power lines out all the time. That's, a, that's really interesting to, to visualize. One more question for you. If, if you wanted to get to the headwaters of, the, of, of that river, how would you get there? the true headwaters yeah <laughs> uh you don't um i think that's the easy answer so it's in tibet uh and so that last trip that i was doing over in china i was trying to i was inkling further and further in that direction uh trying to get further and further over towards the headwaters of that but not really supposed to be like stateside you have to get a permit to be in tibet and I can get the permit now. I figured that out, but I have to have like a guided tour group to, to be showing me around in Tibet. Um, and there's only certain groups that have that availability to do that. See, the simple answer is you can't, um, you, you totally can do it, but you have to just be willing to bend, break a lot of rules, which may get you thrown out of, Tibet, maybe get you thrown out of uh, China, maybe get you thrown in jail. Um, and did any of those places, did your, like, did your Americanness have, did you feel that that was a negative aspect of your traveling in that part of the world, at least? Sometimes when I was traveling, I would uh, pretend to be Canadian um, just to like tone down the, American turns out we've ran a lot of covert and overt um, things in a lot of countries uh, that it, to overthrow governments. Um, that's not conspiracy theory. That's just true. 
Um, we've overthrown governments in lots of countries. That's, I find that really sad um, just because they have a different political ideology than ours. Um, but that, I mean, that's a whole different tangent. Uh, but yeah, so I've definitely pretended to be Canadian in some, um, in some of those locations because no one, <laughs> they're just so nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've done that a little bit. And then for the most part, if I start getting a little bit of anti-American vibe, um, which has happened in a handful of places, like I start just joking with them and talk about their local politicians and like how their local politicians aren't really who they would really like to have either. And kind of like just resound that like, yeah, they're not my favorites either. You know, like the state side wasn't my favorite either. Like, um, and uh, then they start to like, oh, you're human. Like, oh, you don't get with every policy your president does. No, like us either. Oh, we've, we've got another connection. Um, and so I think that's good. Like you just, you, you prove that you're human again. And uh, that's cool. Like we're all just trying to take care of our families. We're all just trying to um, take care of ourselves and our families. And so, yeah, you, you go down to that level and you like talk to their children and like say hi and give them high fives and stuff like that. And like what parent can be mad at that like everybody is all stoked now well chris i'm i'm really glad uh i called you back and um i i just learned a ton so yeah you. yeah cool area um that region if anybody's ever thinking about getting into that region go uh please um enjoy it it's super wild it's super diverse and uh i can't wait to get back in that area i think there's tons more to be explored rad thank you very much for um willing to be on a new podcast yeah absolutely if you manage to get down to colorado whenever or west virginia or wherever hit me back up and uh i'll try to do the same when i get up in that neck of the woods sounds good cool man take care chris thank you take care you too here's a brief overview of the conservation status of the brahmaputra the Zangma Dam was built on the Brahmaputra in 2015. It's on the arid upper reach of the river in Tibet. Three other dams were approved on the river nearby. These dams are run-of-the-river dams, which means there isn't a large reservoir on the upstream side of the dam. Remember also that the river is 1,900 miles long. China has not yet built dams along the mostly undeveloped mountainous reach of the river near the Indian border. India has also not yet built dams on the Brahmaputra but there's economic and political pressure to build dams throughout Northeast India, the Brahmaputra included. Thankfully, at this point in time, much of the river basin remains undeveloped. To learn more, a good place to start is internationalrivers.org. That's our show. Shout out to Braden Gunham and Claire Cripps for suggesting this episode. Next week, we'll look back on an interview I did with Katie Lee in 2015 at her home in Jerome, Arizona. If you have any ideas for other segments of the show beyond bad swims or rambling conversations between river guides or know folks I should talk to or even have one of your own stories you'd like, you'd like to share, please let me know. Today's show is produced by me, Greg Cairns, in Cairnsville in Bozeman, Montana. Intro music by Larry Keel, BMI, Keelfish Music. The composer of Corn Liquor is David Via. Closing music by Frank Sullivan in The Dirty Kitchen, Compass Records. 
Thanks so much for listening. Please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you're listening from. If you're on your way to the river, remember to play around and have fun. Watch your downstream more and respect the river gods. We're all just between swims. Thank you.